It's about controlling something we obviously have no control over. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I love you, black man. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film. See you yesterday. What? Yeah. And we- back by popular demand from yesterday. Well, uh, from from the, the theoretical yesterday, from yeah. the from the days of yester yore, uh, uh, Catherine, I believe it was Catherine uh, uh, from Germany, uh, emailed us in and said, "Hey, Matt, you mentioned Jamie so much that you guys should really bring her back on the podcast." Yeah. So, Catherine, by popular demand, I'm joining me from us. the future. Whoa! Oh. Hi, Jamie. I came back because I thought maybe you could use another white person to talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the <laughs> elephant in the room on this one, but. But also, can you tell us how the 2020 elections go? Nah, I should oh, forget about it. Don't worry, just leave it. That's not great, guys. <laughs> just, oh, dear. Get out while you still can. I'm Canadian now. Jamie Walsh, back by popular, uh, specifically German demand. Yeah. Um, but Thanks, thank you so Germany. much for coming on. Thanks, thank you. Well, I, I, so I asked Matt to be on this podcast because I happened to be here when he uh, was watching this movie. Oh. And I, I quite... I quite loved it. I like science fiction and I like time travel stories and I thought that this, uh, this one, this one... Uh, this one was a slam dunk. Oh, wow. Well, you're jumping in. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no. I'm reeling it back. I'm reeling it back. I got you're, nervous. You're from the future, and now you're just, you're just blaring you've only got, through. You've got 10 minutes to explain to us how this movie works. Is that, is that what, the, what the deal is? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Well, before you do that. Nick, Nick Jonas is <laughs> just president hold on, just in hold 2020 also. <laughs> wow. I'm down for that. that means Spoiler Priyanka, alert. That means Priyanka Chopra is the first lady. Sansa Stark is VP. Oh, is that who Nick Jonas is married no, to? She's no, she's VP. She's VP. The I'm... character of Sansa Stark, they actually elect the yeah, character Priyanka. Sansa Stark oh, to be correct. vice president. Is Nick Jonas married to Priyanka yes. Chopra? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, they cool. in a whirlwind marriage. I don't know how I know that. I, I don't know how I know. No, I do know how I know that. You know how I know that? I'm Indian. So <laughs> we, 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 we're obliged all, to know that. You all, yeah. you all know each other. <laughs> we all know each other. Exactly. Wow. Um, if you'd like to get to know more about us, you sure. can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com, as Catherine did from Germany, and request your favorite guest to come back on the show. Or you can hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. I don't have any emails or tweets this week, so we're going to jump right into the podcast, yeah, you we, ungrateful we, slobs. Well, wow. Okay. I wasn't going to go that far. I was just going to say, uh, dear listeners, I mean, you ask for guests, we get you guests. That's what we're trying to say. I got nothing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, see you yesterday. Uh, I, before Shahir, you brought this film to my attention, mm-hmm. uh, had heard hide no hair of this film. Oh, hide no hair. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so I I was excited uh, when I didn't watch the trailer. I just went into it. And I, I Obviously, Netflix started playing the trailer. Right. And I was like, hit play. <laughs> like trying to just <laughs> sort of do it, pull a Shahir right. and uh, go into something blind. How is pulling Shahir? Uh, 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 it's uh, it's like a, uh, it's like a loose taffy. A loose taffy, gummy. Yeah. And if you leave it like out in the sun, kind of like mid pull, like, like left like out, still in that weird ribbon. Yeah. Left out in the sun, like a, the, an unloved flavor. But you grab it, and you know what? You like it just fine. There's I, no I, bad flavor of taffy. I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't pick up a taffy that's been outside. Uh, what do you? Is this a thing? I yeah. mean, if you're outside, <laughs> if you're in New England and there's taffy, you eat it wherever you're from. We're uh, both from yeah, New England. Ground, Jamie and ground, I are from New ground England. Ground taffy. You guys pick up ground. Okay, no, that's cool. I mean, white people do what white people do. Yeah, um, ground taffy, <laughs> sun taffy, laffy taffy. It's all great. Salt water taffy. Beach taffy, clam taffy. Comes from the ocean. Okay, well, okay. We Moving back to see you yesterday. We don't do that. We don't do that. Uh, outside of the taffy universe that you guys are uh, propagating here. Uh, I had heard about this film from South by Southwest. Obviously, this was produced by Spider. 
Spike Lee, yes. who I am uh, a big fan of. If you listen to the podcast, I talked about Spike Lee a lot. Um, and I, the, the, the central conceit of this film, when I read about it uh, probably a while back, kind of intrigued me. And I was like, th- this kind of feels... Because I think one of the running gags, and this may have been a Chappelle show gag, it may have been a gag I've seen somewhere else on some other comedy uh, bit, but it's, the gag is time travel ain't for black people. If you're a black person and you and someone tells you there's a time machine, <laughs> there are very few periods in American history that you want to actually go back to. That right. Like so, <laughs> that sounds like a Chappelle show skit. So I was like, oh, I'm glad someone is actually embracing that concept, that that kind of humorous but sad take about our world, uh, and doing something with it. So I was very curious about that. Um, and then I was very curious that this is the first time filmmaker by a man by the name of Stefan Bristol, who's very young. Yeah. Um, he was a crew member on. Um on um, uh, Black Klansman. Well, he... he Miscellaneous been, crew is what IMDb tells me. He is mentored by uh, Spike Lee. Yeah. Uh, his story about how he kind of... Uh, got enlisted by Spike Lee is really interesting. He was uh, a student at Morehouse College, uh, which is Spike Lee's alma mater, you know, kind of made it known to the world that he wanted to be a filmmaker, and one of his professors at Morehouse um, put him in touch with Spike Lee, or he met Spike Lee at at a Morehouse event, and um, kind of, like, really persisted and got, you know... First became an intern for Spike Lee, sure, and then went on to NYU, where Spike Lee ended up being his professor. You know, Spike Lee teaches yes, yep. uh, film studies at NYU. And the, my my favorite part about uh, Stefan Bristol uh, as a person that I'm kind of you know a person I don't know, but I'm kind of getting to know via these stories is that Spike Lee hated his short film. Really? Yeah, hated it. <laughs> wow. That's the way Stefan described it. He said his short film was unoriginal, tired, and played out. And uh, Stefan, being as persistent as he was, said, okay. And he went back to the drawing board and rethought it. And he came up with this, um, uh, a short version of uh, See You Yesterday, uh, among many of the films that he was making. Okay. Um, pitched, uh, you know, played it. Spike Lee enjoyed it. It went to a lot of festivals. Uh, and then eventually, after all that persistence, Spike Lee uh, uh, called him one day and said, hey, would you like me to produce your feature, the feature version of this? So has there been three versions of this or two versions of this? Two versions of this. Okay, so, so sorry, the, the, he, he did a short, he did Spike a short. hated it. He went back and did a short of this film, Spike loved it, and then he said, hey, do you want me to produce your feature? Okay, Which wow. is pretty awesome if you think about you know Spike Lee basically saying, I will produce your first feature film and helping Stefan get a Netflix deal. Yeah, um, That's pretty extraordinary and yeah. a pretty great sign of Spike Lee's faith in Stefan. Uh, no, so he did. He co-wrote this with uh, someone named Frederica <laughs> Bailey. Do you know anything about she was an NYU graduate as well. Cool. Um, so she, uh, they both met at NYU, and I believe she was in the graduate writing program. Awesome. Uh, which is what I don't know a lot about her. Again, this is both their first films. Uh, this is a first film for a lot of people uh, yeah. involved in this in this in this uh, thing. But I, I also, I guess, there's been. I was thinking a lot about time travel movies in the in in the build up to watching this film, and I was thinking about how time travel, in a way. Outside of maybe um, you know the, the 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 film the Time Machine uh, or the, the the is it Jules Verne who wrote the Time yes. Machine? Um, outside of the adaptation of that, which has been many of Time Machine, is kind of a great low budget science fiction gateway. In that, ultimately, you know you can do the ticks, you know, uh, in some you can represent the technology, but it's not like flying into space where you have to like create an entire environment. You time yeah. travel allows you to like be in the world you're in just in different time zones. Is I mean, it, unless you Primer travel. famously yeah. low budget. I have, a funny, like... I have a funny connection to that film, Primer. But, I mean, uh, also like you even look at things that aren't even aren't even science aren't like they're sci-fi, but not they're sci-fi adjacent things like Groundhog Day, where like there's not even a machine that's yeah. having it happen. It's just yeah. l- what's happening. Yeah, exactly. And there's no 
technology to it. Now, Back to the Future famously has a piece of technology at the beginning, but ultimately, the thing I love about Back to the Future is there's a film about uh, 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 a guy meeting his parents, right? Like meeting his parents before he was born, and that's what that film's about. Of course, it's set in 1950. There's a throwback to that film in this film. Well, um, actually, I mean, Stefan's favorite films, at least he's quoted as, is Do the Right Thing and Back to the Future Part Two. So if you take those two films... <laughs> and put them together, you might, uh, you might get this... Yeah, Mookie goes back to the future. That that kind of makes sense. <laughs> Mookie has been back to the... We've seen Mookie, who is uh, Spike Lee's character in, uh, in Do the Right Thing, has appeared in one more uh, of Spike Lee's movies. I think it was Red Hook Summer, which mm. I haven't seen. Uh, but I love that character. I've seen Do the Right Thing maybe 20 or 30 times, and, uh, and I totally get it. But I guess I was thinking, to, to your point, is uh, films like Primer, um, film, uh, films like Time Lapse, which came out a few years ago, re- really low-budget time travel movies that basically allow you to, to do science fiction, but without having to do... Like big technological science fiction, which I think is fun. Aspects of science fiction, yeah, yeah. Um, Which kind of uh, it's funny. I like and thinking about this movie, and I think we'll get to more of this point. But um, I think a lot of science fiction movies like aren't very good, but the aesthetics (laughs) are what brings them forward. Like, or 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 there are many times where I've seen a science fiction movie where I think, God, this isn't very good. And then like something, there was one, uh, Oblivion, the Tom Cruise movie. Oh. Like there's this beautiful moment where he like tumbles into this like ruined room and it's like the most beautiful room I'd ever seen. And I was right. like, oh my God, someone worked so hard and <laughs> this just sucks. <laughs> I guess I was, I feel like that happens a lot where the art direction of science fiction uh, trumps the modern film adaptation of science fiction this movie i felt was not that case the writing i I loved yeah if anything uh and i'll sort of get into it a little bit uh but the the well it's actually not the same thing the i think the set design and actually the the costume design and sort of like all of that all of the physical uh attributes of this film were very very well done i liked them a lot i liked the aesthetic of the time backpacks uh, honestly everything except except for the amazon goggles yeah the goggles <laughs> they wore were literally the, and the only reason i know this although jamie caught onto it too it's the same goggles that i literally used for my wdi uh, thing oh. like dude they're just like you spray paint them but it's the exact same like they're like 7.99 goggles and that's whatever who gives a crap but my point here is that is that we we tend to think as filmmakers that science fiction is a genre you should stay away from yes uh, as your first you know if, if you're if you're trying to do a low budget film but in 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 essence time travel is one of the is actually a great narrative device which is inherently if used cheap. in the right way, cheap. Yeah, exactly. And Primer is kind of a great example. Primer was made for uh, something in the vicinity of six thousand dollars, less yeah. than six thousand yeah. dollars, and it's a it, Primer. Primer is an interesting, well, I guess a fascinating example because it's a movie I've watched like four or five times, and I still don't get it every time I watch it. Um, <laughs> every, every time I every time I watch it, I feel like I. So I, it did great. I, every time I watch it, I feel like I've got it, and then I and then I get to the end, I was like, wait, no, I don't got this. But anyway, I so I, I that was like this fascinating realization to me is that time travel has this kind of capacity, and even back to the future again is once you get over the time travel kind of technological side of it and you know uh Lebanese people running at you for plutonium it is about a high school it's a high school kind of you know rom-com drama kind of you know comedy yeah 
Um, and that and and it was only really watching this I was like, yeah, you know, time travel is that wonderful device I think that it, we don't think about in that way. It makes us it makes for good storytelling because it makes us really think about the structure of the story right. in a way that maybe a lot of writers might forget to do sometimes. Time travel is ultimately uh, so, about about so cause and effect, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Except, uh, unless, uh, ex- except for the Avengers Endgame. That's what I was going to say. I mean, <laughs> we, that, we, we, they, they, I thought that they did a great job of, <laughs> you know, figuring out how to not worry that much about right. it, and then make a joke about how they weren't going to worry <laughs> that much about it. I mean, th- we, we've now seen, <clears throat> sort of in in rapid enough succession, uh, two very different time travel movies uh, in the last month, month and a half, um, being Avengers Endgame and See You Yesterday. Um, I I uh, I really dug. This film's, I, I, I guess I want to say like a, a motive core because what it, what it came off and this is what uh, I I I, know, I watched the trailer after the fact right and the trailer makes it kind of look like an action sci fi drama a little bit the sort tra- of the trailers. A, a different feel from the oh, movie yeah. in a lot of ways, and but this, it's a good trailer. And and this and this the movie, which I'd never seen anything like, and I think is vastly important to to create. Literally felt like uh, the evolution of Spy Kids mm. set, in, and that's not an insult. Yeah, uh, set in a more realistic setting with. Uh, with racial violence, with a social conscience. Yeah, with yeah. yeah, it's spy kids with a social conscience. That's a better way of putting it. <laughs> um, because and and, and because the I mean the writing is good, but the, it's it also feels very kiddie. Yeah. But then it's it's these kids are this this is the thing that these kids deal with. So right. there's the juxtaposition. At least it feels from an outsider's perspective who hasn't experienced this. Uh, you know, very like lighter childlike dialogue, and then like life works. It for these people just straight in to just people being awful, uh, and I'd never seen something that took like a light sci-fi premise and then went not I wouldn't even say went dark went real and yeah, like yeah. still didn't lose the emotive core of what the movie was was doing. Um, I was I I did not expect the film to take the emotional turn that it did. Okay. Um, and even after watching the trailer, if I had watched that first, I still don't think I would have thought it would tightrope balance those two tones that I just talked about as well as it did. I think if I had seen the trailer before the movie, I would have been a little confused, uh, because the graphics on the movie are such a strong presence. It's almost like an additional character at that point. Uh, and... Yeah, the mo- like the the aesthetics of those don't quite match up to the movie, in my opinion. Uh, oh, you're talking about you're talking about the VFX. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the produ- uh, forgive me, I don't necessarily. No, it's know okay. The right so, word, yeah. But like yeah. The, so yeah. visual effects are computer generated, added things. Special effects are anything that is in the uh, in like being shot on set. I.e., if the backpacks moved or lit up or did anything on set, that's sort of a special effect. Or if you have like squibs or like smoke, like that sort of thing. But the VFX in this. That, that's I think where I got a bit of the Spy Kids vibe. Like right. it was uh, like anytime it showed a screen, I was just like, huh. And, and that brought me back to like, uh, yeah, Spy Kids, Disney Family, like a weird sort of like. There's just a random wormhole poorly comped onto that screen in this very serious scene, and I'm like, I don't know how to feel. <laughs> well, tell us uh, before you tell us how to feel. Tell us what it's about. Absolutely, IMDb says. 
Best friends, CJ and Sebastian build a pair of time machines and use them in order to save the life of CJ's brother. Uh, very accurate, I would say, as far as IMDb synopsis size go. Um, and uh, I guess you know you had an interesting thing because you said you, Jamie had some great points that changed your mind about the film, and I'm curious. I'm curious what those are off the bat. I don't uh, want to get into it quite yet because it's, it's literally about... the end of the film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, we're gonna get into the end of the film, and yeah. I have I have uh, I have some notes there about the end of the film. But I mean, what do we what 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 were your overall impressions of the movie? Um, you want to start? Yeah, Jamie, you're you're our guest. You're our guest. Be our guest. Oh God, that's kind of not fair. Um, all right, <laughs> do I, the I mean, hard work for us, yeah. guest. Okay. Well, so it's funny because like the my very immediate reaction when the movie started, the first thing I saw was the goggles, and I was like, eh, eh, I don't know, I don't know how this is gonna go, but like. <laughs> I immediately kind of got past that. Oh, and then with the Michael Jake Fox scene, like I, I liked the dialogue, but like I remember picking up little costume things where I was like, I don't know. And then very suddenly I was just hooked in. Uh, I loved the, I thought the actors were so genuine that you are, you can't help but just kind of forget to, forget to criticize and start to just kind of travel with these kids. Yeah. Um, and as as the story went on, yeah, I was totally shocked when things, you know, took such an intense and tragic turn. And like, as the movie was going on, at one point, something, you know, there was a there was the buildup of the scenes were happening, and mm -hmm. I said to Matt, like, I if like I can't take another sad thing. If this doesn't <laughs> end well, I'm not sure I'm gonna make it. Um, but of course, that's kind of the point of the movie. Uh, there's it's about more than just their one story, and, and you can't help but kind of. I found myself juggling like the plot of the movie and then also thinking like, oh, but like she's got to get to MIT. She's got that full ride. And like they, you know, they always talk about the expo that they're supposed yeah. to be in. And and so you're still kind of trying to balance these teenage goals with this horrible thing that they're faced with. And you you cannot watch this movie and not think about the reality of young black teens and children and families in America because they do have to balance being a kid, a normal person, a gifted person, and then the outrageous horror of what they have to deal with on a regular day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, the 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 ping pong effect of it's it's kind of what I was saying before. It's like the when I was watching it, especially especially after the first fifteen minutes, where it's like. They're in high school and they're like science nerds. And Look, then there's Michael, Michael J. Fox, Fox is your science teacher, and he's talking about time travel. And he goes, "Great, Scott!" And you're like, "Ah!" He's wearing a fun tie. Uh, and, and and then like and then later on as they're going, and you're like, "Oh!" I, at first I was like, "This is going to be about them trying to get into college." Yeah. <laughs> And Which it, could still be a really interesting. Sure, like there, that, sure. there's a lot you can dig but, in on there but, and still make. I mean, a movie. that is. Um, uh, <laughs> I think uh, you know a bit of my um, either privilege or ignorance showing of of situations of of young black teens in America that I didn't even see this sort of coming until uh, until the turn of when uh, CJ's brother uh, is gunned down uh, by the police for literally doing nothing. A, yeah, a crime he didn't commit. Yeah, right. uh, not yeah, literally the crime of walking. Um, but it, and then when that took the turn, I mean, obviously because it had been a time travel story from the beginning, I was like, oh, they're, they're going to go back and try to fix this. Like I, I, I knew that was sort of coming. And then, um, 
I guess, and we'll get into it later, but what I didn't see coming was how the film would end. Because again, the 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 kiddish nature, and again, not a detriment to the film, just it does feel I again, I gotta go spy kids. Like uh I, I thought it would go a different way or do different things. And I think because the tone lulled, kept lulling me back into it. Um, well, because there's a lot of humor and like there's a lot of tenderness to it. And they, oh, something that I like and I uh, commend the actors and the casting directors on, uh, they're kids. They feel like kids. A lot right. of times I watch a movie and I'm like, that person is 30. Yeah. Okay, I have to work to get into this narrative. And these, I was like, yeah, you're... Your juniors, like that, was easy for me to completely believe. Yeah. What about you, Sheer? So you, when you were, I mean, you're obviously a fan of Spike Lee. He didn't direct this, of course, no. but um, I, I was curious to see uh, his, uh, you know, like it, it, the the people that he is kind of endorsing. Um, and I, I think I saw this at the exact right time that I needed to see this because, uh, uh, as you know from last week's review, we we just did John Wick, and I watched John Wick two and John Wick three kind of back to back. So I just needed, <laughs> oh, uh, which was really, I mean, you, you listen to last week's review, but it was rough for me. But but but. Fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but but this was just a film I needed, and and I think to the point that you guys both made, it, this film is so effortlessly charming. Yeah, these two these two actors who. Um, who I've uh, I, I listened to a podcast conversation with Eden Duncan Smith and Dante uh, Krishlow, um, are, are best friends. They've been best friends their whole life. Really? So they're Aww. actually great friends. Like <laughs> the way Eden described it in this podcast was that they've known each like they've known each other since birth. Kind That's of thing. so cool. And 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 they were cast in the short film, and then they were cast in the feature film together. And then um, you know Spike Lee and and Stefan really fought for them to be in this Netflix film. So for them to come together again in this film, oh, they were both so good. Too. They're so good. They're so effortlessly charming and lovely and fun to watch and it was like and i and and i think to me the thing there is 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 you know this film has weaknesses no doubt about it it's a first time feature film if you want to get into the mechanics of time travel there are problems with the mechanics of time travel yeah most <laughs> most time most travels. time travel yeah. movies and this and this one has like low budget itis in, in in certain points you know like and mostly you, the vfx honestly you, i mean you you feel the kind of there's that sort of push and pull between the ambition of what the filmmaker wants to do mm -hmm. with is the limitations that they're kind of putting upon themselves. Yeah. But ultimately, all of that gives way because of two things for me. One is that it is so effortlessly likable. I just loved being with these two kids, and I loved everything about their interaction. It felt very genuine. It felt very earned. There's that, there's that sort of uh, un intangible quality that chemistry can kind of give yeah. you. Yeah, it yeah. kind and of makes you want to see, like, how did you two become friends? Yeah, because they're just two geniuses that are, like, <laughs> hanging out together, and you you can feel the organic growing yeah. up nature of them. You, you yeah. can feel that friendship. It feels warm. It feels genuine. And it never feels forced in any way. And then secondly, I think the other point that you two raised um, that was really kind of striking for me is that yeah I, I completely agree at first I, I kind of it looks and feels like a Disney after school kind of like time travel romp yeah but it speaks and talks like do the right thing which is probably exactly why those two those two you know and and you know you, the I think the, the time at which when it was most jarring and I didn't enjoy that was when Michael J. Fox's great Scott I was like oh boy come on <laughs> but but you know, uh, uh, the what I loved is later on when they start, you know, having an interaction. They actually feel like Brooklyn teenagers. You know, like they mm -hmm. feel genuinely um, 
like Brooklyn kids who are dealing with life in Flatbush, who are Guyanese, you know, like uh, Guyanese, second generation um, family members who are living with their grandparents, you know, like, and I love how grown up the film feels in those parts, you know, like how mm. their, their issues that they're dealing with are, you know, like, and, and not even before we get to the school, sh- uh, before the, not the school shooting, but the, um, the, the, the shooting of her brother. Yeah. But, like the, in, the interpersonal relationship, so this other character that, you know, her, who she may have slept with once. I felt like what I loved was that, like, you know, he says, you know, um, uh, you gave it up or something like that. And she, and she was like, like I would ever give it up for you. There was not this sort of chastising that you get in, D- in Disney films where it's like sex is sacred. I feel like she's had sex with the first, you know, before. And she was like, and it's not, you know, like I would never give it up for you, you know? And yeah. uh, what I loved about just that, teens, it was like legitimately like grown up. Yeah. And, and I, and I just love that. And then now I, I think the, you know, I, I will agree the mechanics of the time travel and how the loops work in this film, um, get a little muddy and get a little messy and, 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 you know, mechanically speaking as armchair scientists about time travel, they kind of don't make sense to me because time travel, like we've established is all about cause and effect. Yes. But I don't care. And, yeah. I, I, and they do a, enough fast talking yeah. where they throw yeah. out yeah. throw out the yeah. sciencey words where uh, yeah. the theater major me was like, okay, yeah, oh, I, oh, sure, it. yeah, let's, and, and what wait, I, it's in the backpack. Okay, let's go. Like I, and I, I, I totally. You, you know what carries it. that is is two things. One is the the sort of effortless charm of casting. Uh, in this film and it's like it's not just casting these two actors but it's casting the location so it feels like these two actors are in a real place yeah uh, but it's also about um, the emotional weight of what they're trying to achieve uh, which is honest and true and has a point of view and has something to say about the world we live in now the danger of kind of doing this kind of thing is that it can feel preachy and didactic and and somewhat clumsily handled you know like where the message becomes overpowering but I think there's enough sincerity to what the material actually is here. There's enough of a voice of 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 reason and of a point of view with what is trying to be said, which is very obvious. And again, we live in America where um, police shootings uh, of of young African American men, in particular, is a very everyday reality that we all kind of understand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this film was written around the time uh, the short film was made prior to the death of Eric Ghana and Michael Brown which kind of sparked off the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, but once that once that kind of came into the ether, that was, you know, Stefan's kind of prompt was this needs to change. And I think and I think underlying all this, the central conceit of can I use time travel to reverse this death is powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's and, and and ultimately that's the radical act of this film. Um, and that's why I think it's so delightful and and challenging in interesting ways and has something to say and difficult and you know again clumsy in places but but entirely worthwhile i think the clumsiness is in all the right places because one thing um and it's a tough balance with time travel films like this film is not about time travel. And it was very clear once it got moving. Yeah. Good science fiction is never about spaceships. About the you know? yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, It's yeah. never... Um, the, the great thing, and I, I, I think, weirdly enough, the, the youthful spy kid aesthetic of these backpacks time travel 
The second that that was serious for all the characters. I love that they were like the cutest kids backpacks. Yeah, yeah. Too. The, yeah. And the, I was like, the costume designer crushed it. And I was yeah, just yeah. like, oh, well, okay. If everyone's accepting this, then I accept. Like, Because again, I've talked about it a million times in the show. I'm a stickler for a movie ha- setting up not only its rules and following its rules, but setting up what I need it to tell me what it thinks is important. Right. It does not think the techno babble is important. It knows it's a small sort of necessary thing to kind of like be like, and now we're talking about the real thing we're talking about. Like right. it does that, but it never uh, lasts on it. It never tries to relish in sort of the sci-fi of it. It's a human story that happens to have fantastical elements. And uh, I and, and sort of when you get past that, it, so even getting past the technical aspects of time travel, the story I'm always a sucker for is like, if you could go back and change a thing, would you or yeah. could you? It's what Michael J. Fox says. What would you change is his question to yeah. her at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And, the, uh, you know, as we've sort of seen, and no matter what sort of... Um, style of time travel you slice in any of your films one of the long-standing traditions in time travel narratives is you're gonna fuck shit up right and no matter what you do like i don't think there's really been one where it's like everything's okay right Um, you know what no one's ever done the hitler paradox in a in a time travel movie that i can think of i'm sure there is one just not a good one right good point no one's killed hitler except for inglorious bastards but that's not time travel that's that's, just revision that's cinema yeah Yeah. we never we never saw what happened but i think you know because that's an interesting what, what you raise is an interesting point is that the technology always leads to a human emotional story yeah and and you know like no i I can't think of a a situation uh, where time travel is actually used for greater, you know, for the greater good. I mean, Terminator Two, uh, End Game, I guess, End yeah. Game, like those are sort <laughs> yeah. of the big I'm world sorry. ending yeah, things. Yeah. No, 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 but that, I hate myself right now. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, but that's sort of that, that's even with those things, those are like the time travel goals. But Terminator Two. You don't really care so much about Judgment Day as well, John and Sarah making it. And the out. plan, it's not that the plan is to use time travel for good. He time travels and then ends up doing the right. Is that what happens with Terminator? No, yeah, I mean, no. Terminator 2, basically, what again, it's Terminator 2. It's that, well, and Terminator, I think, basically uses time travel Same as a thing. sort of an initial device and then kind of moves yeah. on. Yes. But he's quick. doing it to be a murder. No. no, he's, no, actually, so I, 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 I take back what no, I said about, right. the, about the Hitler thing is that uh, Terminator and Terminator 2 are the He sends him back from the future. Never to mind. Kill the, you know, to kill the baby. So it is, a, yeah. it is a Hitler. Yeah, but it's Hitler for robots that he's coming back to kill. The robots are doing the Hitler paradox. Yeah, the robots are the first. First ones to do because the, they're the ones they're the ones that aren't afraid. Yeah, they're not going back to try and save someone they know. No, they're going back no, to like they're going uh, back to kill this. the person that's yeah. going to kill them. Yeah, exactly. So so there you go. If you want real time travel that's ethical, be a robot, a murderous one if you can. I don't know if robots <laughs> have ethics. Well, well, I, Isaac Asimov w- would disagree with you. Well, no, there's the three laws of robotics, but that doesn't mean that a robot is specifically ethical. We've been doing a lot of extra sci-fi stuff. We could go down that horrible rabbit hole. Let's not. I like Terminator 3 where he marries a veterinarian. He mur- okay! He mar- uh, that one's not even canon anymore. The last three Terminator <laughs> movies aren't even canon anymore. You can just retcon your writing. Mo- time travel, it's gone. Yeah, time travel. Okay, see you yesterday. Um, obviously, the 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 thing here is is using the time travel mechanic to to correct 
uh, an incident of, of police brutality. And I think uh, we've all kind of given our opinions here. If you haven't seen the film at this point, you should go and see the film. Uh, I mean, you should basically sit on your couch and see the film, presuming you have a Netflix account. Um, but I think we, we the who, thing we should really who just... Who are you? Yeah, if you're listening to this and you don't have a Netflix account, we've said this before, um, we'd love to hear from you because you're, you'd are you be the unicorn. And, you but live also, in a shack somewhere. But, no, but here's the thing. If someone listens to this podcast, say, a year from now, after Disney Plus and all this other stuff, the landscape could be entirely different oh, and it could oh, sound so like we're like net what oh yeah i remember that thing that thing from the mail that's, that's spooky. The, the betamax of uh of uh online i hope streaming. not but you know no, we'll, disney is president well uh if, if any <laughs> if, see, if see you yesterday is anything to go by because i don't think i don't think see you yesterday would ever make it as a disney film but regardless maybe i'm wrong about no that. you aren't wrong that's uh, correct yeah that's... I, I think we should talk specifically about spoilers here because the mechanics are so devoted to spoilers can actually can we can is we focus for a second on that disney comment okay sure I, I so i i think that disney couldn't make this film because this film does not necessarily end hopefully uh mm. disney needs hope and there's a distinct thread of tragedy in the ending of this and they 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 thread it through the whole movie with like i i one of my favorite things is that at one point you know they they feature the side of malcolm x boulevard a lot mm-hmm. although now i'm confused about location because i think the bar malcolm x boulevard Brooklyn, is in harlem but this is a flat bush yeah. but when she's trying when they're trying to get there i could be completely misremembering here but she at one point they're short on time and she yells oh geez we're not even to malcolm x yet right and I was like, oh, God. I don't know my Brooklyn geography well enough. It's, but it's, I, I, I Googled it to check. Uh, <laughs> he, like, that, it, it, he was assassinated in 1965. Right, in, uh, in Harlem. And at so the to Audubon, me, I, you yeah. know, I was shot back. It, <laughs> like, it, this, this story, time travel, goes back that far. Right. This story is about the <laughs> infinite amount of times African Americans have tried to. Uh, get equality and peace and nonviolence and justice that continually fail. And uh, this is her continuing to try that in a science fiction setting. But like to me and uh, th- like that, th- Matt, I think that's how kind of we ended the movie was saying like, this is a metaphor for that struggle. And I, I don't, I-, I love the ending because that's where it hits me. But I don't. It's not hopeful. I don't. Right. Yeah. You know. And at first, the, my first thought was like, "Is she gonna die?" And then I was like, "Does that's not the point." Right. It's it's that. It's, it's that, that open box. It's ending. that she could p- p- yeah. potentially go back an infinite amount of times, and how many times is it gonna take? But that's so. That's sort of where I was. At. So when I finished this movie, I had my initial gut reaction, as I tend to do with these endings, as as people seem to know at this point, where I'm just like, "Thanks, movie, for not answering a damn thing." And I was sort of like, just like, cool, like. I, I just watched a whole thing that I really enjoyed, and then the end. Uh, so let's full spoiler here, real quick. Um, uh, uh, she never quite gets the result that she is looking for entirely. She does manage to correct one faux pas death of her friend. Well, as Sebastian says, it's uh, you. She made it essentially the end of the movie. They're at the point where it's like they never went back in the first place. Right, and and her uh, brother has been killed. But they, but throughout this, like when she goes back the first time or the second time. Sebastian dies instead and then it gets all weird and there's a lot of sort of like time travel mumbo jumbo that gets back to them sort of resetting and then at the end of this film she finally decides to go back again and try again even though we've all learned in this film and many other films that time travel in that regard is kind of uh most times is fruitless so I initially had my like cool like great 
But then, Jamie, you... He's, he's been cranky. You, <laughs> but then, honestly, Jamie brought up, and, and I'm going to try to paraphrase this, and then you can actually say it, unless you want to start with what you said. No, I don't necessarily remember exactly what I said. Uh, it's, it's along the lines of what you just sort of recanted here, is the reason why this movie ends like this, with just her running back again to try to stop this murder, the murder of her brother is thematically honest with the source material and that is that no matter like again how many times have uh african americans tried to you know further better fix Fix. these sort of these these things and how many times has the world just you know said no um and because of that and because of this specific what what this story is actually about, which is sort of the constant fight and the the constant setback, but still but still fighting, uh, I think the ending itself, while definitely not hopeful, is very true and and I mean if there's anything hopeful about it it's not what's happening in it's not what's happening in the at the actual end of the film but it's the fact that she is still trying and maybe yeah and maybe hopeful is not the right word I don't you know I don't want to be too nihilist about it but she like, is still she's, trying yeah and like people will always try but like I don't think the point is that like it's never going to happen I think that the point is that like it's been happening for so long and so, so you really did. You turned my um, my my end of the movie uh, frown upside down because I do. I re- I really do believe that um, that this the 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 use of this style of ending is right. thematically true to the entire f- point of the movie. So uh, I want to do two things, which is one, I want to play you a clip from the director talking about specifically the ending of the film. Oh, okay. Uh, and he's uh, because he has received a lot of criticism of the ending of the film. Uh, and so let's hear what Stefan uh, Bristol has to say about the ending of the film. Sure. That ending is up for everyone's interpretation. But to have the ending wrapped up in a bow like that, it would it would be an offensive oversimplification of, of why this movie's been made. Of, 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 of a tragedy that's still happening today. And I refuse to simplify it. Explanation of the ending is basically, I want you to do something about it. You're pissed off that that the movie ended that way? Well, I'm pissed off it's still happening. When CJ is running towards the camera, she's running to you to seek help. That's what she's doing. I'm challenging everybody who sees this film to actually get up from your couch and do something about it. Then. <laughs> So I think you kind of hit the the hammer uh, right on the head there in terms of what the what the 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 messaging of the ending and I think there you know I I think if we listen to the podcast I've I've always kind of uh, I guess advocated for being challenging in your final moments if yeah. you can and 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 the power of open interpretations to uh, narrative conclusions um, and I think this is one of them I will admit um, the emotional catharsis of the film kind of is swept, uh, it, 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 it leaves you kind of like swept off your feet. You know, you're not, you, there, there is no emotional catharsis, but that is the point of yes. this, this movie. And I think that's a sort of powerful testament to how narrative cinema can actually work and transform your way. I mean, the way I think about it as well, if you're, if you're Spike Lee's, um, um, if you're Spike Lee's mentee, um, the ending of Jungle Fever, uh, when, uh, you know, like the, the resolution, uh, if anyone's seen Jungle Fever, it's been a while since I've seen it, but um, Wesley Snipes uh, gets into an interrelational uh, relationship 
and the 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 thread that's run through the entire film is about the rise of uh, crack cocaine uh, in Brooklyn. And at the very end of the film, uh, a, a strung out woman kind of comes to him and he grabs her and he screams out loud and that's the end of the film. Because ultimately, while his sort of interpersonal... Uh, tragedy has been resolved the the greater tragedy of uh what's happening in brooklyn continues and that's the sort of unusual ending that i think you know spike lee uh is very good at um you know he's done a few times yeah um and i think this is a really good example of that and i think i he, can i yeah sure so, so I, he screams at her i haven't seen jungle fever uh he Should screams at her like so good. like a, like get away from me or screams at her in unison with the sort of predicament he, she's in it's it's an amazing moment he grabs her he embraces her and he screams out loud okay uh, as a, as a sort of a, a scream of rage and and why is this still happening kind of okay, thing okay got it um so yeah, no, I think I think there is that 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 challenge of the ending, you know. But I I I I love a filmmaker who lays down a challenge, uh, and I love a filmmaker who is willing to back up that challenge with uh, a thematic through line that actually makes sense to that challenge. Yes, and and it's and it's and it's again, it goes back to this entire film is of one mind. Like, it, it's, it never lies to you about sort of what it is. It does, dip, yeah, I will even say playfully dip its toe into other sort of genre pieces. Again, sort of youth, you know, you know, sci-fi, youthy type things. Uh, youthy. Like youthy. Um, but, That's what the millennials are calling yeah, it? Yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, technically, I am the, the world's second oldest millennial. So uh, uh, that would be Davy Stevie Dave. Oh, okay. Uh, but... I digress. Yeah, uh, shout out to Davey CB Dave. Um, Nobody knows what that means. Yeah. I don't care. I do. <laughs> and you do. No, but I mean like on the internet. Yeah, so yeah. are we nobodies now? Let's yeah. let's back I mean, it up. I don't want to be. I'm in the room and I don't know what you guys are it's talking fine. about. It's fine. <laughs> Jumping back to it. Um, I do think that um, I'm trying to figure out if there is a film that is not set in, or, or let's not even say set, that is not dealing with a real world issue. That has an open ending that I like. Oh, that okay. Well, I was I was like with you on all three points until you got to that to that that, that I like well, that, that, I, that, that, I, I, that I feel like is a justified, effective ending. And I'm wondering if the ones that I do think that work work is it because they thematically relate to something that is the overall core of the film. So, I feel like something just came out with an open ending because there's lots of films with open oh there's tons yeah. yes but like I I was just reading about like the first time that happened and I can't remember what the movie like the, was the, the movie, like, the, uh, so I've I've got an essay that I want to pull up oh. about the first time the, the one of the first times that this maybe happened. maybe you were the person that I read it from of, was like, it the, the 400 blows no okay never mind okay <laughs> <laughs> no it was a survival movie and I think it took place in like uh, the Canada the Canadian wilderness and it's this group and at the end ah yes the gray. Well, the gray has an open ending as well. Yeah. The the end is a group of people who you know have gone through uh, the story together, and it's them uh, w waiting to either be rescued or killed. They oh, don't know, oh yeah, I do know the I film, uh, and I because I know the director, so it's going to take me a couple of degrees of separation to figure out what that film is. But I, the director is the guy who episode. made uh, the brother from another planet. Um, and I will get to that while I talk to you about this other okay, thing. Okay, sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, because I can actually see the image in my head. I just can't think of the title and I can't think of the. I the, wrote no, it down. The I've... director's name is John Sales, and the film is called. Um, oh, God. Okay, no, I'm going to come back to that. This is what you name, want to hear on your yeah. trivia team. Uh, the director's name is John Sales, by the okay. way. Okay. You want to hear with his laptop. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, I'm going to see if I can get there with, uh, without it. But uh, I want to pull up. Uh, so for Film 101 text, everyone reads Thompson and Boardwell. Thompson and Boardwell uh, are the, the, they write Film 101, an introduction that is kind of like the book that every Film 101 student reads. And they have a, a specific chapter devoted to um, uh, open endings versus closed endings, as they call it. Um, and they, uh, this is an essay that I found that was written by Richard Raskin, which refers to that. Um, uh, where they talk about how the a film that is left open-ended is is assumed to have a weak closure, but Bordwell and Thompson suggest, suggest that, and this is where they cl- um, quote Bordwell and Thompson, most classical narrative films display, display strong degrees of closure at the end, leaving no loose ends resolved. These films seek to end their causal chains with a final effect. We usually learn the fate of each character, the answer, uh, the answer to each mystery, and the outcome of each conflict. Um, a re- ending that can be relatively open, as our example is The 400 Blows, is uh, one where the plot presents a story of events that leave us uncertain to the nature of the final consequence. Uh, reading Bordwell and Thompson's argument a little bit further, not only are we in the dark, uh, and there again, they're referring to the end of The 400 Blows. Yes. Have you guys seen The 400 Blows, no. Francois Truffaut's film? The final frame of the film, it's about a young boy who runs away from a foster home um, and it's sort of his misadventures through um, a French countryside. The Tim final... Tim. Uh, yeah okay um the final final shot of the 400 blows is uh antoine dunal uh the character runs to the beach he finally makes it to the ocean side which he's been talking about forever but then again this was 1960 something the film freezes on his face and just and pauses as he looks back and almost kind of clocks the camera mm. and the thing was that no one quite understood what that ending meant mm. um but this is you know uh um boardwell and thompson talk about is that not only are we into the, in the dark as to Antoine's immediate future but we are even left uncertain to how to interpret the look on his face as the film ends this can be demonstrated by the fact that the readings of Antoine's facial expression in the freeze frame shot diverge considerably uh, and range from happiness uh, and hope uh, to uncertainty and, and disillusionment so the uh, w- what Boardwell and Thompson are saying is the open the the potential of the open ending is the multitude multitude of possibilities, and and the idea that the ending ultimately exists within the viewer. Now the 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 fr- final freeze frame look to the audience has kind of been done many times before. Sure, the four hundred blows was kind of the normally point. with I said hula la 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 la. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, no, that's kind of a closed ending though. It is, but yeah. I'm just saying yeah, the yeah. style of freeze frame look at the camera. But we've talked about open endings a lot. You know, like the lobster is a film. That I need to watch it again. Yeah. I'm not even comfortable bringing it up. Guys, as an don't example ruin the anymore. lobster for me. Yeah, yeah. I keep forgetting to watch. But it. we keep we we have talked about open endings a lot. Uh, I guess my frame of reference is that open endings are about the potential uh, beyond the existence of the frame, and openings are, are can be uh, an exist uh, a sort of. I guess you know the way to sort of think about it is the Schrodinger's cat ending. You know the the it is it is uh, alive and did uh, both simultaneously, and I think sure. that can be beautiful and wonderful. And I think bringing it back to this film, it is a wonderful example of what the possibilities this film is exemplifying. But as you've said, Jamie, it's also uh, a somewhat disillusioned ending. In a sort of a beautifully, uh, you know, uh, delightful flight of fancy that has kind of been slowly working its way towards this tragedy that is, and, and I think what we're saying at the end here is the tragedy is inescapable. And if you look at any, you know, metric about police brutality and police uh, violence and the sort of sense of hopelessness that comes from a community that has experienced this, hmm. that is 
an entirely understandable it's point totally of view. Totally accurately communicated. Mm. But I, I like I like his dialogue. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you oh, off. Okay. I liked his dialogue, uh, uh, Stefan's about. Um, she's running to us. She's running yeah. to the viewer, uh, and it and it has to change within society. It can't just be this time traveler. But that is why this film's ending and this type of ending in this film works so well. There's, I think, again, the reason why I don't like a lot of these endings is because a lot of these endings are not based in the core of what the film is trying to tell you or do. There's a lot of things that... The movie is going along, teaching you its rules, telling you what's important. A lot of times, weirdly enough, like uh, survival or horror movies will kind of do this. Um, and I, this isn't sort of the same thing, but like a non-ending being like uh, that you you never understand what's going on and everybody sort of dies. And then it's like, well, cool. Like or or if like um, I'm trying to think of another sort of uh, non-ending that's not lobster related, <laughs> but like. If it's if it's going along and telling you everything like this is important, we're gonna take the time and really get you to know this, this, and this, and then oh no, uh, what this this character needs to do this specific thing uh, in order to uh, save the person that they love, right? And and now it's funny, take that in a vacuum, which a lot of movies could do, and do an open ending. Do, does that person save them or do they not save them? In an open ending, not really connected with the theme of the movie, I think it's bullshit. In a, in a in a movie like this, where it connects with the actual theme of what's happening and what the film is trying to say, and all of the things that the director just sort of said, I a hundred percent think it's the best possible ending. The alternative ending could have been uh, panning out, and again, we're, we're in spoiler territory. We've well, been for quite yeah, a yeah, just checking. Um, the the alternative ending would have been, uh, you know, Calvin disappearing in the alley, right, and. I would have I would have leapt out the window like right. that. That would have been completely tragic with no feeling yeah. like the closure would have been too harsh. And he, I, I retract my hope comment. Like he, he almost he almost <laughs> he 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 makes it different. He makes it about the struggle and and in a way that suggests action is still going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I and I think it it fundamentally it works and it's challenging and it and it does work. I still don't think Disney could do this though. No, they can't. Uh, I'm I again I think I think the film you were referring to earlier and again this is not just me trying to get good, get good at trivia but was the film called Limbo? I think it was called Limbo by John Sayles. <laughs> I think it was called Limbo. Yeah. I read about and, it. And I wrote it end, down because I was like, oh, I gotta watch that. Yeah, and the end and and famously the ending of that film is that we don't ever see if the this family are, is yeah, rescued or not. It. And I think it's kind of exactly what you were just saying, which is that the f entire film has been about the rescue, and the end of the film is kind of in the title. Uh, so I, I personally am all for that, um, because, uh, I guess I'm just born this way. Maybe. I don't know. I, I just think I, I, I'm interested in, in reading into films, uh, beyond and whether they're effective or not is a different, you know, is a different story. But, but I think that, you know, like, um, I, I, I like the idea that a film can kind of challenge you with its finale and it's not just about closing up all the loose ends, which yeah. can be emotionally sure. satisfying as well. And I am all about films that do that, but only the ones that actually treat its audience with a level of respect and show uh, show us through the skill of the craft what the movie thinks is important or what the filmmakers think is important. I, I really, I, It's so um, tricky. I think, I think in order to make this conversation have any meanings we have to use specific examples. I, 
I know. I'm gonna because, go because otherwise we're just sitting up straw men to like empty straw men. I mean, I'm not really. I mean, we can go back for for me again. I I just know that when I see these endings, I had that ending because I didn't think about it right away, and then it, we talked about it more and it clicked. Yeah. Like, um, it's just it. Look, it's it's kind of like any. This is now. Well, okay. It's kind of like anything. If you, <laughs> this is the dumbest thing, whatever. But like, if maybe you, my conversation about specifics might come. Yeah, into play yeah here, here we go. Yeah, here we go. If you do it well, it's great. And if you don't. It's not like, and and that's that's what I'm saying. Without specific examples, there's no other sort of point. I do want to go back. Actually, write us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think. What open-ended movie you think works, and tell us if there's any that you don't think work. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, I, I, I know. Don't when write I write th- about Inception. I mean, you can. I, you, you can. I'm just, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. Kidding. No, um, I, I think I think that's a fair point. But uh, again, it's 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 within the world of this particular film. I think there is a thematic connection that kind of makes yes. sense. Um, right, one hundred percent. There's a you know like. I, I'm always hesitant to kind of take the director's word as gospel, you know, like the film, the, the way to interpret a film is the way you interpret a film and whether it's effective to you. But I think, you know, like his point about the ending, I think really does make sense to me. It made sense to me as I watched it. Um, and, and it kind of lands now. And I think, you know, the other thing that the the film kind of pulled me into a rabbit hole is the, the Washington post has been, um, there's this amazing thing about police brutality in America, which is that there is no database or accountability for how many br- police brutality or police shootings of civilians has been going on. So since 2015, the Washington Post has be- has created a project for itself called the Fatal Force Database, mm-hmm. and they have been recording through. Uh, they're reporting through any social media outlet, through any kind of evidence they can find. And that's uh, the first database. For that's it? the FBI don't collect uh, any data points about oh, this. The God. police uh, police don't collect Jeez. any data points about this. Um, and it makes you wonder about a society where we live in, where there's a lack of accountability. And that's what the Washington Post's uh, database is kind of about. So I think uh, if you know, like if Stefan Bristol's call to action was for us to kind of think about how this, you know, like how this is continu- how this continues to happen how um, it can happen in in sufficiently meaningless situations. You know, like, for example, uh, the death of Eric Gano, you know, as a man selling cigarettes uh, on, a, on a corner. Does that, should that result in death? Right. Um, uh, I think, you know, you should check out the Washington Post uh, database where they've been trying to click this. The great thing about that, uh, about that is that it is a real... Um, uh, user-generated database. You can actually grab the data itself. You can you can troll through it yourself as a as a CSV file. You can kind of find and you can interpret the data yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a wonderful um, a wonderful uh, call to action. And I think because of that project, the um, the FBI has started collecting that data. But in in that note, good job, guys. Yeah. yeah uh, I believe at this point in 2019. The uh, amount of civilian deaths is up to 319. Since, since 2015. No, th- since two, at the since the reported beginning of, since or, or found out about since the beginning of January. Since the beginning of January. Reported so 372 report, yeah. uh, shootings in 2019 have uh, been fatal. Fatal shootings of civilians, 992 in 2018. Uh, the number gets bigger every year. There's yeah. a spike in 2015, 2016. Well, we're only, you know, we're not we're not halfway through through the, to 2019 yet. I did um, read that. Uh, uh, I wonder if it's from the Washington Post. I didn't see what what the source was when I was scrolling, but like, it's like thirty one percent of fatal shootings are African American victims, and they make up thirteen percent of the population. Like, yeah. it's it's drastically yeah, it's it's dr- uh, it dis- yeah. disproportionate in yes, in in one side. Um, and I think you know there is a a, a legitimate 
fear of interaction with police forces that uh, that I think is you know you can see why it happens. Um, and this movie doesn't shy away from that either. Like that's the other thing too about what I what. Uh, and this will sort of get into a bit of my final thought. I think is this film takes very hard, difficult, and important topics and wraps it in a time travel spy kids bow. And that sounds kind of silly when you when I put it like that. But again, I think that's one of its greatest strengths. It, it's going to be seen by people that are not expecting this entirely. It's going to actually do the things that the director said and sort of like people that aren't, you know, looking for this content will inadvertently find this content yeah. because they're looking for the other style that it dips its toes into. I think it's smart to do that. I think it's important to do that. Again, going back to the Disney comments, I think the the reason why, and it, I wish it didn't feel so novel, but the reason it feels so novel is because Disney would never do that. Um, it, it, yeah. At this current point in in May of 2019, Disney would never do that. I, the only reason I disagree there is a semantic thing, which is Disney is such a huge conglomerate that it is it's so multifaceted and that, I, that you know like. And There's I so am many talking, different parts about and Disney. I am talking You're just about, talking about Disney. I'm with talking the, about with Disney as a brand. G. Yeah. And if you would have the the friggin' castle in front of this movie, uh, it would never happen. That'd be so weird. <laughs> right? That's that's what I'm saying. So anyway, sorry, I did not to sidetrack. I think you owe it to yourself to watch this film. I think it is uh it's it's strong in a lot of ways and ways that will surprise you. If I have any criticism of it, it's just the VFX, and that doesn't matter. Uh, well, I really and, and it's it's funny that you 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 almost it almost seems like you've come from when we first watched it and you said I didn't like the VSX and I was really frustrated with those to like you they are using it as a tool because and those I, I, yeah that's an interesting point yeah because the it, it did take me out every once in a while but it did also lull me in at the same yeah. time in in sort of a different meta way yes yeah, um I do wish and this is again this is this is literal stylistic choice from what I like to see in a film uh, for the visuals, they could have done away with all of the VFX and just stuck with the backpacks and a couple pieces of tech on the table and like it would have worked totally fine. But again, going back to what you just said, Jamie, I don't know if it would have lulled me in the same way nor gotten people sort of into the space. Like if there's not like the Tony Stark hologram with the VR gog, like it actually might be integral to how this is presented. And in a meta way, they start this movie, they don't plan on trying to like, they, they don't plan on the grim direction that their journey takes. They are 17 year olds, 16 year olds, uh, tr you know, who invented a time machine for, yeah. for like an expo project who are uh, really jazzed about that. That's what they want to do. They want to be really smart kids. And the graphics match that tone. Yeah. Uh, and actually, there's a great moment where uh, things have really gone uh, horribly wrong, and she's uh, she has to travel back from uh, from the past, and she has, she's holding Sebastian's backpack. He's just been killed, and it you know it's through this like crazy graphics portal. But she's just there's just tears coming down her face, and you don't see her eyes aside from that. And it's very grim, but she's still in that portal. It's very interesting. Uh, it's actually that that's a kind of I, I would call that kind of a, a reference to Spike Lee who's famous dolly shot kind of mm -hmm. thing that's the moment she can't, they kind of throw in the Spike Lee dolly shot uh, which I love I think I you know for me I think this is a great example of genre being used to good effect um, you know using uh, something like science fiction time travel to, to, to sort of great 
to, to kind of point to a social consciousness that I think is interesting. Um, I love uh, little, the, the, the sort of the underlying reality of the fact that this is made by a young second generation Guyanese filmmaker uh, is what makes this authentic. And mm. it's little detail, the, the little uh, details, like for example, Michael J. Fox is reading the book Kindred by Octavia Butler, which is about uh, a, an African American woman who is transported back in time to the slave era. And, you know, the huh. kind of uh, the, the sort mm-hmm. of irony of how difficult that period is uh, for anyone and uh, the sort of time travel mythology. Um, I think the thing that's really interesting is that these, you know, like I think in most narrative films, time travel and, you know, like t- technological advancement is kind of done in a, in a in of itself uh, for the progress of your own, you know, ability to do things. And in this case, these two kids are just trying to get into college. You know, they're trying to get into, you know, they're trying to better themselves. And I think that is a real um, uh, immigrant narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, like it is a, it is a second generation uh, essential American narrative of trying, of betterment. And it's, it's unique that they're using time travel to get good grades. And it's, to me, the irony is that Michael J. Fox's character, the teacher gives them a bad grade for not thinking about the ethical implications of, of their, of their mathematics. And I was like, that's funny. Cause if someone had kind of invented time travel, are you going to let, you know, like, are you going to suggest that they need to think further about the ethical implications? And I was like, the world is really unfair. Well, if you're not not going to kill <laughs> Hitler, then I'm giving you a B minus. That's what they got. They got a B plus or something like that. Whereas the kid who made the quantum uh, quantum Circuit motherboards boards. got an A. JB loved those. Yeah, the, the, the I gold spray. Yeah, yeah, the gold <laughs> spray. I love that character as well. Yeah. And again, oh, yeah. the the sort of little narrative touches, like him giving his abuela a mass a foot massage, you know, yes. and then and them talking about like uh, this girl that you like and that kind of thing. And is she a very getting, teen thing? Yeah, it's just, I just. I, and and then like him going back and putting on this act of like being the cool kid who's trying to get a date. You know, I love those little details. I think they're really fun. They're really cute. And as uh, as the tech goes, I love that they're like in their VR sets. The three of them are yeah. standing around a table and one of them's not wearing it. And he's and like, he I just, don't know what's happening. Yeah, he just like he's just like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> yeah. like, it's very cute. That it's, was a moment when the tech really worked. The the fundamentally what makes this film work is it is so effortlessly charming. I think it is, it's lo-fi. It's, it's a young filmmaker finding their feet. Um, I think, but they are, are being supported in the right ways and they're being given opportunities. And we, on our, I think it was our separating art from artist uh, conversation. Uh, uh, one of our guests um, uh, from your favorite problematics, mm-hmm. you know, the question they said is when you, um, when you support artists that can be doing terrible things, you, the thing you got to think about is who are the artists we're missing out on yeah. who are not being given opportunities. And what I love about the Netflix model and Spike Lee's endorsement of this filmmaker and this young guy making this film is that we are getting the voice of, an, of a filmmaker and a story that wouldn't ordinarily be told and hasn't ordinarily been told. And that's why you should watch this movie and, on Netflix. And this is his first major, like, what's he going to do? Like, yeah. that, I, I'm excited yeah, what's to next? see. Yeah, 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 exactly. What, you know, like, what with the success of this film, what is the, the, the next? stages for him yeah Yeah. Uh, and you know like uh, not to sort of narrow it down into um, into African-American, young African-American filmmakers, but, you know, obviously the last person like this is Ryan Coogler. Um, the other person that Spike Lee has supported is Dee Rees, whose film uh, I think is magnificent that we saw on Netflix last year, Mudbound. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, power to the people, I guess is what I would say, not being an African-American, but but like uh, recognizing the, 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 the push for representation, the push for stories that matter in a around a community that we don't often see represented in genre films. Yeah. Well... Lady, gentleman, this has been the only podcast about the film See You Yesterday. 
Uh, Jamie, thank you so much for hanging out and talking about this film. Thanks for having me. It was a great film. It was it was super fun watching it with you, and I'm glad that we got to. I'm, I I often very much, and I mean I quote you on here all the time, but I uh, you're constantly challenging me and trying to uh, not trying to, but actively sort of changing the way I see things, and I very much appreciate that. Yeah, I wish um, I could be that guy. For I, that. Yeah, you know, sadly <laughs> you've only done it once or twice. I think the scores are probably you know. Yeah. I wear a mask of your face yeah. when I tell him this. You should hear the act. It's a terrible. Terrible accent she oh, does. Really? Right. I will yeah. say, Jamie, your New Zealand Can't accent. You should, you, wear to, you should wear it to bid so that he wakes up <laughs> to it. Garbage. Kind of like a horse's head in the Godfather. Um, or something I do like have that. a fake mustache that I wore after we watched Justice League, and he was very upset. Yeah. Oh, really? uh, anyway. You don't uh, want to go for the mustache ride? Jamie. <laughs> wow. Jamie, when you are not <laughs> being uh, weirdly asked about mustache rides by Shahir, where can folks find you? <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's okay. actually you I wanted to go on the mustache ride, by the way, Matt. So, uh, yeah. Duly noted. <laughs> yeah. This you guys are gonna get fan fiction erotica any minute. Um, we're, uh, you, we're hoping. So you can find me on Twitter at uh, at uh, Jim Jam underscore Walsh, uh, and on Instagram at the same. And uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's those are the places. Those are the places, I guess. Love it. You know, sometimes I'm online. <laughs> <laughs> You'll she, respond to, to 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 fan fiction if people write it, right? Oh God, guys, send it in. Yeah. I will. I will print it out and post it and send it to the New York Public Library. Oh, well, <laughs> great. I'll tell them. It'll be great. Uh, <laughs> hope you don't run into John Wick there. Uh, Shahir, when you are not traveling back in time. To make sure that all films don't have a solid narrative ending, where yeah. can folks find you? You can find me opening the endings of every mystery uh, at my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, when you are not fighting straw men in the fields, where can people find you? Listen, I'm just, if I only had a brain, you could find me at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life at works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram and PSN, and uh, Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, don't forget to email us in at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com and tweet at us at OnlyMoviePod. Let us know what you thought of See You Yesterday. Uh, if we you think we hit stuff on the head, if you think we missed the entire point, if you think... We should go back in time and redo this entire episode? Yeah, which we Every could, week? Every week, we just keep doing it until we get it perfect. <laughs> um, but until we hear those things... See you yesterday? See you next yesterday, if next you listened day? before. Next or t- <laughs> see you next day? <laughs> see you next day! I'm probably not going to be on the next one. Maybe. Unless we go back in time. Yeah.